Welcome to another day studying the Word of God, looking at how we can observe what the Bible says and apply it to our lives and pray about it and then uh, just breathe life into us. So, uh, so glad that you're joining uh, me today. If you've not had a chance to uh, subscribe to my YouTube channel, Anthony P. Richards, please go ahead and do that link that is in the description below. Also, uh, follow my uh, Facebook page, Anthony P. Richards, and my Instagram page, which is AP Richards. Links to all those are below. Uh, why do I want you to do that? Uh, because I want you to like, comment, subscribe, and share these as much as you possibly can. If you don't do that, then truth of God's word uh, you know, is, uh, is not able to get out as far as it can. And I know there's lots of other people doing this, but uh, I'm trying to do it the best of my ability to help you on your journey and I want to help as many people as possible. Today we are looking at Psalm 8. Psalm 8, uh, a wonderful psalm of David. Um, as are most of the early psalms, uh, David did not write all the psalms, uh, but uh, most of the early numbered ones were written by David. And this is an amazing psalm about the glory of God in creation and how that can remind us of how wonderful God is. And as I've often said, one of the best ways to read a psalm, uh, to give it context, is to read the last verse of the psalm first and then go back and read the rest of the psalm. It gives you a bit of an idea of where the psalmist is heading and what the context is of his arrival point. Because he, pretty much every psalm is the psalmist, whether it be David or somebody else, taking you on a journey, an amazing journey. And, uh, and so this is, this is an incredible psalm. So I'm going to read to you Psalm 8 verse 9. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth. Isn't that, look, we've sung songs about that. And uh, it's a wonderful, uh, just wonderful statement to make. That's where the psalmist is going to arrive at. So the, the title of this psalm reads, To the Chief Musician on the Instrument of Gath, a Psalm of David. So it indicates the audience of the psalm, which is the chief musician, which is God. Whenever you see that, uh, that's that capital C, capital M, chief musician. He's writing to God. It's a psalm to God, a song to God. That's why when we go to church on a Sunday, we sing songs to God. We don't sing songs about ourselves. We sing songs about God. We sing songs about Jesus. We sing to Jesus. We sing to God. We sing in the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. Okay, That's where this whole idea came from. Uh, the author of this psalm is David, and the sound of the psalm is on an instrument of gaff. No clue what that is. Okay, could be so many different kinds of instruments. Um, and in this psalm, the psalmist David speaks of the glory of God and how the glory of man and his own destiny reflects upon God. So let's, let's get into it. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth. Sound familiar? He bookends this psalm with the statement, O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth, who have set your glory above the heavens. David recognizes both the covenant name of the Lord, which is, uh, so O Lord, our Lord. The first Lord is capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. The second Lord is capital L, lowercase O-R-D. 
So the first one is the covenant name of God, that Lord. And the second one is the position of God, Yahweh, to his people. He's the Lord. In other words, we come under him. You know, Jesus is our Lord and Savior. Uh, it was a very simple, straightforward and common way of saying, uh, look, by saying our Lord, our Lord, what, he, what he's saying is, oh, our God is our master. Okay. David recognized that though, isn't that amazing, by the way, how you can read that a hundred times and not know the concept of why it says, oh, Lord, our Lord. Um, I, hope you, I hope you love those little nuggets. That's just like hidden nuggets, you know, that you find in the beach, you know, little, a little shell peeking out from the top and you're like, oh, what is that? And you dig away and you go, look at that magnificent shell. Okay. Uh, David recognized that though the Lord, the name of God, was Israel's covenant God, he was also God of more than just Israel. His name was excellent in all the earth. Uh, at the same time, the earth was not enough to measure the glory and the excellence of God. Why? Because his glory is above the heavens. Verse 2. Out of the mouths of babes and nursing infants, you have ordained strength because of your enemy, that you may silence the enemy and the avenger. Wow. These words that David wrote 3,000 years ago, 1,000 years before Jesus, were going to have a significant impact uh, you know, even on, on Jesus, and uh, which is really amazing when you think about that, about the, the impact these words would have a thousand years after they were written and now 3,000 years after they were written. Uh, in this first verse, uh, David considered the greatness of God by his evident power and, and his glory in creation, uh, both across the earth and in the heavens. Now he considers that the power and glory of God can be seen in small children, babes and nursing infants, uh, as God's strength is evident in them. Now, David here touched on a very familiar theme in the Bible, the idea that God uses the otherwise weak things to display his glory and strength. 1 Corinthians 1 verse 27 is an example of this. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. And it's hard to think of anything more weak and helpless than a baby. Uh, yet the same God who can ordain strength out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants can give strength and support to me in, in the middle of my weakness. Now, significantly, Jesus himself quoted this passage from David uh, to his very indignant accusers in Matthew 21, verse 16. Uh, Jesus had done all these amazing miracles in the temple area. And uh, as he received the praise of children who cried out, Hosanna to the son of David, David who wrote this, uh, Jesus knew his Bible. He knew his Psalms. And so he quoted this. He says, he says, hey, doesn't the Bible say out of the mouths of babes? Because the, the people came against him and said, can you believe that he's getting the children to say this about him? And he says, no, no, this is just fulfilling. I'm the son of David. This is what David said would happen. Um, because of your enemies, he says, you have ordained strength because of your enemies uh, that you may silence the enemy. The reason why God displays his strength 
in unlikely weak vessels is because it works to silence the enemy. Satan and his adversaries have got nothing to say when God works incredibly mightily in, a, in an otherwise weak person. Uh, now, one, one ex- example in the Bible that's a dramatic example is Job. Um, God silenced the accusations of Satan against both God and Job by the way that he sustained Job with God's unseen hand in the middle of Job's own profound weakness. Now, in quoting this passage from the Psalmist David, when Jesus did that in Matthew 21, Jesus told his accusers a couple of things. He told them who he was and who they were. Since the babes and the nursing infants praise God in Psalm 8, Jesus identifies himself as God, not just the Messiah. And in this, Jesus also identifies the indignant scribes and teachers as the enemy and the avengers described in Psalm 8. Isn't it amazing? Old Testament, New Testament, always being woven together to reveal the eternal purposes of God in who? Jesus. Boom. You got it. I'm excited this morning. Love this. Verse 3. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained. David knew the value of just simply considering the glory of God's creation. He knew what it was like to look up into the starry sky and consider what God had made in, in this incredibly wonderful vast universe. Listen, did you know that with your naked eye, when you look up at night and clear night, you can see about 5,000 stars? But there's actually a billion stars. You just can't see them. Uh, If you had a four-inch telescope, you could see two million stars. If you had a 200-inch mirror in, in a massive observatory, then you could see the billion stars. See, considering the heavens makes us see the greatness of God. But it's only through our own eyes. The more we see is revealed to us, the more we see is revealed to us about God and how great, wonderful, marvelous and mighty he is. Verse 4. What is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you visit him? Considering the greatness of the heavens also made David consider the relative smallness and insignificance of man. David wondered why such a big, great God would be mindful of such small little human beings. But God is so big that he makes the universe with his fingers. Man is so small that he's dwarfed by the universe. But David didn't doubt that God was mindful of man. In other words, thinking about man. And he said, you're mindful of him and only wondered why. See, before we share David's question, we have to first share his confidence that God is mindful of us. He thinks of us. He considers what we do. The son of man and the son of man that you should visit him. See, the poetic method here is of repetition. He's, he's saying the same thing over and he's repeating the idea in an even stronger way. And the son of man is a title that emphasizes the humanness of man. Uh, and we might say that visit him is stronger than are mindful of him. In other words, God just doesn't think about you. He actually comes and visits you. He's not just up there in the heavens. 
David Guzik. David was confident that God not only carefully thought about man, but that he had some kind of personal connection and contact with men and would visit him. He thinks about us and he acts in our life. Verse 5. For you have made him a little lower than the angels, and you have crowned him with glory and honor. That's a very interesting uh, verse here that needs to be looked at in the original language for us to understand it. We actually cannot fully understand this verse without looking at it in Hebrew. English doesn't work for us. David saw that God made man a little lower than the angels. Now, this is evident in the way that man is beneath the angels in, in present glory, power, and nearness to God, that present, okay? Now, the word translated angels in the English Bible is the word Elohim, but with a lowercase e. And, and it most often refers to God himself, both in upper and lowercase. And there, there are some who believe that David was trying to say that man is a little lower than God, stressing the idea that man is made in God's image. But the ancient translators of the Bible, from Hebrew to Greek, understood Elohim, lowercase e, here to speak of angelic beings. More importantly, that's how the writer to the Hebrews understood it. Uh, the Hebrew word for angels is simply God or gods, Elohim, same word. And it can refer to angelic beings. Okay, now David Guzik says this. What is more significant, David did not say that man was a little higher than the beasts. Though one could say that's true. Theologians since Thomas Aquinas have noted that man is in a middle position between angels and the animals. Lower than the angels, yet higher than the animals. Yet David here, the psalmist, rightly makes us look upward and not downward. Though many think of mankind as more of an animal than angelic, David wrote that you have made him a little lower than the angels. We're more angelic than we are like the beasts. This very passage is quoted by the author of the book of Hebrews in Hebrews chapter 2, verses 5 to 9. The whole passage is quoted. Uh, that doesn't happen very often in the New Testament. Why? To reinforce and build upon this exact point that uh, in it he notes that man's low estate relates only to this world and not to the world to come, Hebrews 2.5. More pointedly, the writer to the Hebrews uses this passage from Psalm 8 to show that Jesus really did add a genuinely human nature to his divine nature and thus became a little lower than the angels. Which is why he says, goes on to say, you have crowned him with glory and honor. Though for a little while set lower than the angels, mankind's destiny is one day to be crowned with a glory and honor that surpasses the angels. It's the destiny of redeemed men and women to one day be lifted above the angels. That's what 1 Corinthians 6.3 and Revelation 20 verse 5 tells us. Now, here's what's interesting. Derek Kidner says this. The word used little, a little lower, uh, can sometimes mean for a little while, not just a little bit lower, in both the Hebrew and the Greek, which is the sense 
that may be implied in the epistle of Hebrews. Okay, now, God's glory is above the heavens, okay? Yet he put this same glory and honor on man as a crown. James Montgomery Boyce, this as a, is an effective way of identifying man with God and of saying that he has been made in God's image, reflecting God's glory in a way that other parts of creation, like the animals, do not. Okay. Uh, now, as the writer to the Hebrews points out, uh, it seems that this divine call and gift that's given to man of great dominion over the whole earth is tragically unfulfilled. Fallen man seems so weak and incapable of dominion over his own thoughts and desires, much less crowned with glory and honor. But as Hebrews properly says in Hebrews 2 verse 9, but we see Jesus. We see Jesus. We always see Jesus. Okay, verse 6. Okay. You have made him to have dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, even the beasts of the field, the birds of the air, the fish of the sea that pass through the paths of the seas. David understood the mandate that had been given to Adam in the garden and therefore all of his descendants. And it was given to Adam at creation in Genesis chapter one, verse 26, and also in chapter nine, verse two of Genesis. By both God's decree and man's superior ability, he indeed has dominion over the other creatures and the resources of the earth. Now, um, uh, James Boyce, in this section of the psalm, allusions to the first chapter of Genesis are inescapable, which shows that David was thoroughly acquainted with the book of Genesis. Um, now, perhaps this knowledge uh, of God's word came from David's mother, uh, because twice in the Psalms, David refers to her as a maid servant of the Lord, Psalm 86, Psalm 116. We don't know, but maybe it did. She was an amazing woman. Um, as part of this authority that, that mankind has, uh, this dominion power and authority, uh, mankind has the responsibility to wisely manage the creatures and the resources of the earth in a way that gives God glory. And it's good for man. It means that it's wrong to see man as merely part of the ecosystem because that would be denying God, um, or denying man's God-ordained dominion if we did that. It's also wrong for man to abuse the ecosystem and the creatures of the earth, thus making him a bad manager of that which ultimately belongs to God. Psalm 24, verse 1. The mandate of dominion given to Adam, and that David talks about here, asks man to use the creatures and the resources of the earth, but to use them wisely and responsibly. Now, not trying to say any more than what I'm saying. So don't think, oh, I think he's talking about this, or I think he's, no, I'm just saying what I'm saying, okay? I have a very simple uh, mantra in life when it comes to things like this. In other words, a repetitive statement that I make over and over and over. I mean what I say, and I say what I mean. So if I didn't say it, it means I didn't mean it. Okay, there you go. You have put all things under his feet. Here, David develops the idea introduced in the first line uh, of Psalm 8, uh, verse 6. 
The dominion of man extends to all things, sheep, oxen, beasts of the field, birds of the air, fish of the sea. And the Apostle Paul actually quotes this scripture in 1 Corinthians 15. Paul quoted it in much the same way that the writer of the Hebrews did in Hebrews chapter 2, showing that this promise of dominion is now only incompletely fulfilled among men. In other words, it's not completely fulfilled. But it ultimately is fulfilled in Jesus, who's the ultimate man, and will one day be completely fulfilled in his resurrected followers. Now, in light of all this, it's a great tragedy, I think, when a, a person is captured and held in bondage by the things of this world. We were born to have dominion over material things instead of being in bondage to them. Then we get to the end. Verse 9, O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth. When David has now gone through the process of thinking about how vast a dominion God has given to man, it made him praise God over and over, thinking about who God was and what he created, what God had created and given man dominion over. And this, this humble creature, humble in light of the majesty of the universe, humble in the light of the present standing under angelic beings, should be given such authority is a demonstration of, of the excellence and the goodness of God towards us. And David understood that the position of man in creation says far more about the glory of God than saying anything about the glory of man. Understanding it all should make us praise God, not man. Now, there are, there are three wonderful and important truths about man and mankind that are found in this psalm. And when these truths are denied or rejected, then mankind and men and women, so that means us as a human race and then us individually, uh, will never be what God made us to be. Okay, and these are the truths. God made man. God made man something glorious and God made man for a high and worthy destiny. And when you deny one of those three, then you can never reach the potential of what God has for your life. See, all three of these principles are rooted in what God has made men, not what men have made men. They do not exist, nor are they fulfilled from the work or plan of man. And that's why this psalm about man is even more so a psalm actually about God. Uh, James Boyce, the most striking feature of Psalm 8 is its description of man and his place in the created order. But the psalm does not begin by talking about man. <laughs> it begins with celebrating of the surpassing majesty of God. It starts with, O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth. It finishes with, O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth. Everything that happens in your life starts with, O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth. And it begins with, O Lord, our Lord, how magnificent, excellent and majestic is your name in all the earth. What do we observe? Okay, I've got a few observations. Number one, whenever I forget how wonderful and beautiful God is, I need to read this psalm. Whenever I doubt that I deserve anything, I need to read this psalm. Thirdly, God made me. I didn't make me. Therefore, 
I need to be who God says I am. I can never default to trying to be who I say I am after reading the psalm. So if you've been telling yourself that you're no good, that you're a loser, that you'll that you just got to get through life, somehow scrounge through life and eventually you'll get to heaven and it'll all be better then. Then I'm here to tell you that that's not how God made you. God made you to have dominion. He made you to have dominion over your circumstances, over your life. Doesn't mean you're not going to have trials. Doesn't mean you're not going to have tribulations. But I tell you what, you're going to dominate over them. That's what dominion means. You, you are a dominator. That's who you are. You are a dominator in Christ. You're not just walking around going, oh, no, 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 no. Stop that posture. Take a posture of a son or a daughter of God who has been called to have dominion. That's who God says you are. Romans 8 says you're adopted. You're an adopted son or daughter. You have the same privileges, the same inheritance as Jesus Christ himself. So start living like it and read this psalm to remind you every single day. Heavenly Father, I pray for everybody watching this. Bless them, encourage them, lift them up, I pray. God, give them a sense of who they are in you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.